Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. All right, guys, I am lucky to sit down today. You're going to love listening to this, sitting down with Jen Shaf- Oh, you just told me it, and I just lost it. Shafiro? Shafro. Shafro, see? And I was so confident just about to say it, and then I was like, nope, nope, it's all gone. Sitting down with Jen Sheffro, cannot wait to talk to her. Obviously, she blogs for DeanBlundell.com. You've probably seen her all over social media. Has been a coach, a GM. She's been all through the hockey ranks. Pleasure to have you on today. Yes, thanks. How, how you doing? Yeah, you know what? Not too bad. Rainy day here in Nova Scotia, but you know what? Living the dream, talking about hockey. That's it. So I wanted to have you on, obviously, because you cover hockey with Dean. You obviously run through the sport, and I see that you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, or at least Pittsburgh has your heart. Can you explain why? Um, it's complicated. Um, I've, I've got some connections within the, within the team, so I've made some friends, and uh, they stole me away from San Jose. Um, and that's about as far as I can go with that. <laughs> All right, we'll leave that one there. I was going to say, it's, it's got to be because, you know, you got good old Nova Scotia boy, Sidney Crosby, leading the team, and obviously you want to be a part of that because he's bringing championships to Pittsburgh, and they're always perennial contenders when he's around. So that would have been an all-right answer, too. Yeah, let's go with that one. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, no worries. So you have been all over the hockey landscape. I mean, what got you into hockey? What was that... Uh, bit that struck the match that got you rocking and rolling with hockey well i mean it, it goes back to like um actually when i was five in 80, 87 um watching the canada cup and i i think that's my first experience watching hockey well the first one i can remember anyways and i was just i was in, i was just thrilled and i couldn't stop talking about hockey um watching it my stepdad he played um up to a certain level, I can't remember, but um, he, he was a big fan watching it every weekend, every Wednesday night, every whenever, um, Saturday night, and uh, my interest just developed, it got stronger, but I didn't necessarily have the interest in playing, though we did look into it, it was just difficult because there wasn't much women's hockey when I was nine or ten. Yep. Um, so I was in a, like an abundance of other sports and I, of course I played pickup hockey, um, and pond hockey, um, since I was young, but I never played organized. So it was like, okay, well, how do I get my name on the Stanley cup? So I was around 11 years old and I'm like, well, why don't I just coach, coach it? Came up with that, you know, hairbrand idea. And I went and got certified at 18 as a coach and I went also, uh, became a trainer and started coaching pretty much once I got certified. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. Well, About twenty years working in the in the industry. No, well, I read the uh, the story. Obviously, it's posted to your Twitter, and just ran through that. And obviously, um, a lot in there that for some people is, is just mind blowing to hear about. Which is, and I think, is absolutely ridiculous and not the way that it should be. Um, but to unpack just a little bit of what you talked about about minor hockey not being available to young gals back when you were ten, I want to know what your feeling is now. Obviously, the game is starting to to catch people's eyes, and women's hockey is, is kind of you know under the microscope a bit more, and people are starting to, I wouldn't say just open up to it, but just get it out there, get it in front of people, and social media is having a huge impact on that. 
I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the NWHL and then, of course, everything else going on with the, uh, you know, the Women's Pro Hockey League Association as well. I think it's great. I mean, I'm not going to say no to more hockey. And I actually have a friend that played for the Toronto Furies. Um, and I went and seen them play last year, was it? Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's good hockey. I mean, I'm always in for the <laughs> Olympic women's hockey. Some of the best hockey you can see. Um, but as for the growth of the game, I, it's, it's going to be a few years, maybe even a couple decades before we see it comparable to that of men's hockey most of the people that i know um players and fans alike they just don't have the interest in it because it's not the hockey that they fell in love with now they have to keep in mind that hockey men's hockey has started to change it's not as gruesome and violent as it once was and that's the game that most of us you know that are in our 30s and up you know fell in love with yes the was the, the you know the not the violence necessary but the grit and just the the, the emotion and the, the passion that is clearly not as as big now as it was 10 20 years ago and so on but for women's hockey to grow it's just it's got to be people like it like you said on twitter more people talking about it pushing it um but it's it's, it's going to be a while before that actually actually happens but i'm here for it you know i i i'm i'm a woman trying to get into the men's part right in the nhl yep. so um i totally relate to all these wonderful women hockey players that want to be recognized but like i said you can't be calling out for money nor pay when you're not generating the income like i think what the women need to do is they need to like what what any team does like when they need to get raise money for for a, a tournament they have a car wash or a bake sale or you know what i mean like yeah. the women themselves they have to be pushing it more themselves not expecting the world to do it for them like you want me to pay attention you come tell me why kind of thing or show me why do you understand oh yeah no I, think, I get what you're saying put the product on the ice and let it you know let it speak for itself but also be out there in the eye and and pushing it and making sure that people are paying attention you know not just like you said just sitting back and hoping that everybody comes and they come in droves just because yeah exactly well the other thing i gotta ask on the on the tail end of that is you know you see everything that is growing and is bubbling you know and you're talking about getting in on the nhl side for the men's hockey um what needs to change there? Obviously, it's the old boys club. You see uh, Dmitry Filipovic talk about the fact that, you know, it's the same 30 to 45 guys. They're always hired. It's nothing but a carousel. What needs to break that combo? What needs to break that mold? I mean, you look at, and, and I'll use a, a quick example just before I jump in, but, um, you know, you look at the UFC and Ronda Rousey and what she had to do to be able to get women's MMA on the map and basically break themselves into the UFC and, and get into the consciousness of fight fans. So you look at that side of it and just how hard she had to push and, you know, to make it. And basically that, you know, confidence and some people would say almost arrogance just to say, hey, we're here and this is going to happen. You know, what needs to happen for the NHL to break that mold and for, for women to get into coaching positions and to be on the front lines, which they should be? Well, absolutely. There's a lot of factors, actually. I was just working on my blog, my next blog for um, uh, Dean's site with regards to why we haven't seen women in that role yet. There's a lot of factors, um, and I'll cover them more extensively in my blog, but um, the relationship between a man and a woman, that's the first thing you think about, right? A lot of men don't value women's opinions. Now, I'm not going to speak on 
the, the whole NHL. But, I mean, the few players and coaches that I know personally, they actually value my opinion, but they won't celebrate it. They won't put it out there. Why is that? Because it's we're not really respected in that role. Maybe it'd be the old boys club um, thing or, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing most of like the gms and owners they're older but what needs to change is just keep pushing and pushing and pushing like for me myself i sent out packages when i was like 19 um to the 19 or 20 to gary batman and i heard nothing back um and i've been working on packages for each gm yeah that i'm going to be sending it's basically everything they need to know about me including character references and, and business business references and even player references with uh, players that I work with um, hoping that I can get in the door and once I'm in the door it's just a bit but getting that option to talk to someone right and then selling myself given the opportunity for me and I can only speak for myself I know that I'd be very successful um, as a coach I have been successful uh, things that I, that they have to consider before I get in that position or any other woman is how the, the players are going to re- relate or work with uh, on a woman that's confident, um, possibly attractive. And how are they going to have that? How's that woman going to run these guys and make the team what they need to be? It's a big factor, right? On top of that, it's, um, well, I'm just going to leave that one alone because I, I want to go extensively on my on my blog. No, for uh, sure, and I'll make sure to pump that out at the the end of this too to make sure that people check that out. It's, I haven't published it. It'll be the next few days, but um, I'll definitely uh, I'll let you know when I do. But um, one thing that will once once one gets in the door and there's a little bit of success that'll open the door for more but i still think we're we're, we're a little ways out on that and they don't want to be premature and bring in a woman and it just the tank it doesn't work they've kind of got to got to like it's a it's a slower process from from what i've seen and from my experience being a woman working with men um behind the bench like it, it hasn't been easy i mean you said you read my yeah. blog about what i went through like it I've experienced that right up to the professional level already, and I haven't even been called a coach in the NHL. So um, it's just a lot. There's a lot there. And like I said, I cover it in my blog, but primarily it's the relationship between a man and a woman and how the woman as a coach wouldn't be a distraction, how the guys are going to focus, pay attention, do their job, be respectful. Like you got to remember the hockey culture too. These players are set in their ways with how they view women. So there's just, there's so many things that have to be ironed out before. Well, I was talking to Rob Shremp a couple of weeks ago, uh, kind of about this actually, and how basically I think it needs to start from grassroots and start building up. You know, so like you just talked about, you know, they're already these players are set in their ways or coaches are set in their ways when by the time they reach the pro level. But if you're coming up from the grassroots level and you've had a woman coach, you know, when you're a junior or when you're in major junior or wherever you're playing coming up, then it's not, you know, getting to the NHL and something different. It's all the way through. And I think that needs to change from every single level to be able to build that not only respect, but start to build that notoriety where this is going to happen. This is great ideas. You can push the envelope. And like I said, when talking to Rob, you know, they have a hockey school they're building right now and they value both sides of it. 
And he says there's days that he gets absolutely dangled. And there's things that he didn't even think about when he's talking about coaching and obviously player in the NHL, right? So the ideas are there, and you're right. It just needs someone to push through. But I think it needs to go from grassroots right up to break that usual mold and start to, to, to form a new one. Well, exactly. I mean, like, it's the job of our, of our coaches who's coaching the youth now um, to give women a better standard so that um, even if they do coach them throughout their career or not, but they come across them, they're already built with that level of respect. Yep. That it's, I mean, as soon as you get one woman behind the bench of the, the NHL, it'll, 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 it'll be more, you know, It'll be a big deal. It will be, um, yes. It'll be. It'll become the new norm, which it should. It should already be. And the one thing that I'm worried about, and, you know, you heard about it when Haley Wickenheiser was hired by the Leafs to be, you know, a strength and conditioning coach and a coach for the Leafs for, for talent. You know, everybody said, oh, is it just a token hire? Is this just a token hire? You know, I don't like those terms being attached to anyone being hired. Um, obviously, anybody who's being hired like Kyle Dubas said, is hard because they're valued in that position, they're skilled, and they bring a lot to the table, and they know what they're doing. They're not just here because. And, you know, I don't want the NHL to ever do that. Like you said earlier about prematurely doing it, you know, it could be very easily attached to that kind of thing if it doesn't succeed. Well, the idea is what the NHL has to do, and what I'm actually pushing for with my application, is start off, you know, like as an assistant, the end of the assistants, um, and earn your place to, to become, you know, work your way up to head coach, uh, so that you have to do the work. It just doesn't happen. It's not like a token hire. Like you say, it's like she was brought in on the bench to deal with this, that, and the other as an assistant coach, and she's earned her right and worked her way up to a head coach position. I think that'll probably be the easy, the best way for the NHL to incorporate women into onto the bench. Yeah. No, I think that would be the smartest way. And like I just said about the grassroots, I mean, that's the same thing. You come in and you work your way from basically the lowest assistant all the way up. And, you know, you earn your stripes and you show everybody what you can do. And like you said, if you get in the door, you're going to blow the door off the hinges. So that's what's going to happen. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been 20 years in the making. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, when that door opens, just make sure you kick it open and it stays open for everybody else because I'm pretty sure it'll damn well happen. And if it doesn't, well, then yeah, there's that's, something wrong. That's, that's, that's the pressure, too, on me. If it is me that that gets through first, is to, you know, now I'm representing not just myself, but every other woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. I think it, I think if you got in and through, there would be a very, very large army behind you supporting you. So. <laughs> yeah. Because the, the times, I believe it or not, it may not feel like it sometimes, but the times now, they are a-changing. And I think they're changing for the better. Times are changing. People don't change. It takes a lot longer for people to change. And the people that are in these positions, like I said before with the old dog new tricks, it's going to have to be people just banging down, saying, you know, beating them down, braiding them, saying, we want to see a woman in this position. We want more women. We want more women. Until they cave. Or, like I said, I come in and blow their minds with my interview and my application. And they're like, you know what? Let's give this one a try. I kind of believe in her, so to speak, right? But before any of this is going to happen, I see at least I don't know three to five years. I put I put a a, a year on when I'll be when it'll be me. It's going to be me. I'm going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? We'll put a year on it by the end of this, and we'll revisit it. And when you're sitting behind a bench, just remember we talked about this. Oh, I don't forget anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's definitely going to happen, and I mean, 
there's so much going on now that it's just absolutely crazy to think about, you know, where we were and where we are and how much further it can go. And it doesn't even make sense that it's not there yet. And I, I say this as a father of two young daughters. I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And showing my daughter the women's game, she'll watch an entire women's hockey game from start to finish. But when I put on the Toronto Maple Leafs, she'll maybe watch a period and doze off. But when it's the gals playing, she's right in there watching and she's asking questions. And when I have anybody on that represents women's hockey or just in hockey in general as a woman, she's all about asking me questions. What did she say to this? What did she say to that? You know, where is she? Because she's so into it, right? So I want there to be positive role models for her to look to that are in the game, whether it be in the women's side or the men's side. Because I want her to know that anything is possible. You just got to work for it and you got to earn it. But if you work for it, it should be there for you. Well, I will say one thing. Um, over, the, over the course of my career, when it comes to parents and players alike, I have had a lot more success than the men. That's another reason why there should be a woman behind an NHL bench. Because women offer certain things that men don't. And I don't mean that in a perverse way. But I mean, like, we, are, we have a softness. We have more patience. And, you know... The, the art hockey the NHL has become such a business which lost the art of the game yep. so you know a woman might be able to reestablish that factor and deal with with people like people have emotions or sensitive whether they play hockey or any sport they, like I mean hockey's a mental game like you have to have people that are able to you know communicate or to get through to all of your players without making them feel bad or embarrassing them in front of the team because a lot of that, a lot of that goes on so there's a there's an aspect that women offer that a man never can and it comes down to you know like the the mental aspect and the, the fact that we are a little more patient and set more sensitive and understanding and i know some people say well you don't want that on the bench like i can be as hard as anyone else i have to be but if i don't have to be you know if my team finds success with my with my tech with my technique then why would i why would i be anything else yes that's exactly it no I I 100% agree with that. And the business aspect of it, it's all so driven. And even coaches now, you look at them, when they get to the NHL, they still market themselves. Even though they're the coach of the team, they're still trying to make a brand of themselves. You look at, you can think of names. I could throw a Tortorella and you could tell me exactly what he's all about and what his brand is. You know, it's same thing with Babcock. You look at these coaches, right? You, you just know who they are, like Bruce Boudreaux, or you throw a name out. You just know what they're about and what they've, you know, become and what they're attached to. It's, you know, because they market themselves just as hard as the players do, and they're in on deals, and they're on on this and that. So, the you know, Tortorella comes off as that arrogant jackass because that's what gets them to the dance. That's what gets people talking about. He's not like that at all. No, exactly. He's a great guy off the the ice, away from hockey. But you're right, he branded himself to be like, you know, he's kind of like a a bit of the dramatic, the flair for the dramatic in his his pressers and whatnot. And I don't even watch... I'm not a Jackets fan by no means, but I'll watch his pressers, every single one of them, because they're... They're entertaining. They're extremely entertaining. But but that just goes back to exactly what you said, right? The business aspect. These guys are not foolish, right? They want to make an extra buck for themselves, and they turn themselves into a character. And I know what Torts is about. I mean, I talked to um, Maxim Forche, a former Moosehead, and he played underneath Tortorella, and he told me the same thing. He's an absolute gem. Like, he'll run through a wall for you just like you run through a wall for him. But all that stuff is basically for the cameras. So There is there is something, like, I, I did learn about, um, there's a lot of coaches that don't get credit. They're very, like, you know, egocentric. And I always thought, I thought 
Torch was one of those, but after learning about him, like he's, he's actually some fantastic guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute shell shocker to hear that. But I mean, everything, everything is about business and branding and, and it's ridiculous, right? I mean, I, I like watching hockey for hockey. And sometimes if you look at it, I like watching, you know, the, the Quebec major league right here in my backyard. Sometimes more than I like watching the NHL just because of the business aspect of it. And, you know, it seems like they're having more fun on the ice in junior than they are in the NHL. Oh, absolutely. They're not having fun anymore in the NHL. It's not fun. Everything's like, even their socials, like they have to be so the the politics that have come in, the political aspects that have come into the NHL. And I'm not against any of their, of their monthly stances, but I mean, like, when did we, like with this, this playoff thing, like when did we lose sight of the actual game? And it just became now it's just a business how can anybody have fun when there's the pressure to perform right so i mean i think a lot has to change in the nhl with regards to a lot of many things and i i honestly think a woman would do that even if a woman in the in the, the commissioner role would probably be pretty sweet too well isn't that interesting that apparently from what elliot friedman said this is the last cba that Gary Bettman wants to negotiate. So that opens a window. I mean, obviously there's what, six years left. So there's, there's your window right there. You said five years. So could we be calling you the next commissioner of the NHL? Who knows? Oh man, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> Changes are coming, right? So, I mean, that's another spot right there. It starts at the top with anything, right? So whoever gets into that spot, whoever is the next commissioner, I'm hoping that a, either it's a woman or it's someone who is all for that kind of avenue and, and being there. Yeah. So, but that is, uh, like I said, this is the last one he wants to negotiate. Obviously, he did it with no hiccups, no problems, which is kind of weird. I don't know why he couldn't have done that before. But he wanted to go out on a good note, I guess. But, yeah, so now it's wide open. And who knows, in six years, it could be someone new and fresh behind the helm and that's definitely needed, and that would change a lot of the culture within the NHL because Gary obviously, you know, dovetails to a lot of what the the, the owners want. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I just got something else to apply for in the next few years. <laughs> Pad that resume. That's it. Well, I'll ask you. Obviously, uh, with the NHL coming back for you. What do you think? I mean, put your commissioner hat on. Do you think it's a good thing during a pandemic? I know they're coming to Canada to play, but during the pandemic, the spikes in the States, do you think it's a smart idea to push forward and have camps open on July 13th, ratify this deal, and get everybody back on the ice and playing hockey in summer? No, it's horrible. It's not even, it's not even, it's not even the 1920 season anymore. It's been four months, it'll be four months before they, you can't just stop a season and then have a four month break and then pick it up. All, all, everything's been lost. And then on top of that, they're disregarding all the concern for this, this, this uh, coronavirus to, to stop the spread. And I, I know they're talking about bubbles, bubbles and this, that, and the other. Like, this isn't about the hockey. This is, a, this is a disrespect to the Stanley Cup, if you ask me. Like, what they should be doing is, at the players and the staff they got an extra long summer you know they work hard they deserved it yep. let them be let's focus on how we can make a full season start in october if with or without fans in the stands you know what i mean like if they say it's about money and some teams could lose this that and the other okay but regardless there's gonna be no fans at these nhl at, at these playoff games there's gonna be none right it's just gonna be tv rights so 
why don't we just focus on a full season, let the players have their rest, and not risk anyone else getting sick or 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 lengthening this whole disastrous pandemic, if for lack of a better word. Um, and yeah, I think it's horrible. I think it's it makes me angry. I won't even be watching it. Well. There's, there's only my side of the things is I, I watch a lot of people say that, that you know they're very excited for it, and then I see a lot of people saying there should be an asterisk and they shouldn't be playing. And I look at it like this. I mean, I listened to the uh, the epidemiologist that was on Thirty One Thoughts and what he said about basically once everybody gets in the bubble, everything's safe. I agree with you on the fact that it's been four months, and if you look at a team that doesn't qualify for the NHL playoffs. In four months, it becomes the new season for them because obviously you have the playoffs run the route, then the off season, and then everybody's back to it. So that's where every team is right now. So you have seven teams that are going to be sitting and chilling until basically December or January, whenever this picks up, because you know there's going to be a second wave. So who knows where they're going to play and how they're going to play. Then you have this tournament going on, which for me, the biggest question I've had is the growth of younger hockey players. You have a lot of players who are used to being you know, getting prepped for the draft. So teams getting prepped in June for the draft and then teams working them out through the summer, them getting their growth, you know, more maturity. And a lot of these players are not going to have anywhere to play, anywhere to sign, anywhere to do anything, you know, which will stunt growth. And that was my biggest question coming out of it. You're waiting for this draft for so long. What are these guys going to do? What property they become? Do they play in the CHL? Do they play elsewhere? They're now saying that if guys sign and play overseas, they're not eligible for the next season in the NHL. So these guys can't even play. So, I mean, you're handcuffing them, you know, and saying, well, we're going to play in December or January, but don't sign anywhere else. You know, don't keep developing as a player, but, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get your shot at the NHL and you'll get your shot at being drafted. That's the things that are bothering me the most about all of this. They've lost their human aspect. Like, the the players aren't even people anymore. They're pawns. They're chess pieces. Like, that's what you just told me. Like, totally upset me. I'm so floored right now. That's disgusting. Yeah, because there's a lot of players that obviously aren't playing right now. And the European leagues are planning on opening their doors regular, whenever they start. So whether that be September, October, and there were guys that were thinking of going over and playing and having an opt-out clause to come back to the NHL, and they're being told that they're not allowed to do that if they sign anywhere else. They're not eligible for the next NHL season, and that was negotiated in the new CBA, which hasn't been ratified by the players or the owners yet. But it looks like it's a pretty much a slam dunk because everybody seems pretty positive about it. But that caught me off guard. The younger players, like the thing I'm saying is, if the CHL doesn't start up and these players aren't a property of an NHL team, what do they do? How do yeah, they keep do they developing? Do? How do they keep playing? Obviously, the you know, my suggestion. I talked to Kevin North up out here, and he covers the Q. You know, I said, well, why don't we? Why don't teams like the Mooseheads just keep all their players in house and have them play against each other? You, you don't get the same level, but at least you're, you know, playing you against someone. You're playing, and you're not. You're not going to get like, yeah. You know. So I, I wonder about all of that stuff. I mean, that just doesn't seem like it's all great and dandy to have your draft in, in November and have all those key dates set. But what helped, like we all know these years for younger players are huge development years. And we just talked a few moments ago, you said about the mental aspect of the game. Imagine prepping, you know, and working your tail off to know that you're getting drafted in June and then find out you're not getting drafted in June. You're getting drafted in November and now you're in limbo. 
the mental state of that player is going to be all over the map. I don't care if you're Alexis Lafreniere, Cole Perfetti, or anybody else down the draft line. You're going to be absolutely in shambles and trying to figure out what's going on. And you're not property of any NHL team, so no team can invite you into their camp or their facilities to work out or train with their players. They can't. Okay, well, just uh, plug it out there and send them to me, and I'll, I'll, I'll train them through the <laughs> mental aspect. There we go, right there. See, there's the end. There is the end. It all comes full circle. Every NHL draft-ready prospect is going to be there at your door. Let's go. That's it. But the, it's just those things, that you, like you said, it is the human aspect. And that right there, I know they're trying to do the best they can, but the best they can right now, to me, doesn't seem good enough, especially where, A, you're stunting growth, but, B, you're also prohibiting players from staying in game shape. Many, many, many of these guys who are free agents, you know, that are fringe kind of players, haven't played since March. There's no AHL. And now you're yeah. saying, no, no, you can't go over to Europe and join a European team with an opt-out clause because it's just not going to work for us, which is I, do bogus. They realize, do they not realize that, okay, there's, there's always a risk of getting hurt if they go over to Europe, but there's even more risk of them getting hurt if they're not working out every day and on the ice every other day and and playing like, like it's i yeah could you this imagine really i'm gonna throw this out you just kind of as a joke and phil if you ever listen to this don't kill me but can you imagine phil kessel not playing hockey from march all the way until january you know oh, he man. doesn't come in the greatest of shape at times and he, he's always poked at for being you know cut like a bag of milk i think it was james van reemsek who said that but you know, imagine him not working out because he doesn't take it seriously to working out. He just, his skill speaks for itself and he plays yeah, himself into shape. I love Phil. Oh, yeah, he doesn't care. He's, he's Phil he Kessel. Doesn't. He's the best. But yeah, you're right. And it, but it's still like my point stands too. Like, like injury happens. Muscle seize up. We have to keep pro athletes. They need to keep limber. They can't just sit for seven months or four, four months skating with four people once a day. Or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it doesn't they work. Need, they need the games. They the most importantly, they need the games because that's where you learn what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and who works with who. It's always only in the game setting. Practices are too relaxed to know to give you what you need. I've seen. I've been to a few NHL practices, and I'm. I honestly sit there and I'm scratching my head. I'm like, why are they doing this? But that's me. I'll run my practices accordingly <laughs> once I get there. But um, yeah, like we we got to keep. They're not getting it right up in the NHL offices. They're they're getting it all wrong, and it's they're coming off as it's just about the money and it's not about the hockey. And asterisk or no asterisk, I don't care. It does this doesn't count for me. It's just a glorified tournament that should, after four months, include all the teams. If they have like if they're really going to do this, they should give all the teams a fair chance in the in the exhibition stage or whatever. The playing stage, yeah. Yeah, and then run run a playoffs. Like I don't care what anyone says, but I mean, like even the even the last even the, what was it? Detroit, Ottawa, San Jose. They all got robbed of a potential first draft pick. Now a team that possibly like, <laughs> I, I can't. I'm so upset over this. I literally don't go on Twitter that much anymore because I don't want to read any of it because I just don't support it. Well, I'll say this, and, I, and this is my stance on the 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 COVID Cup, shall you call it. You know, I look at it like this. Any team who wins this cup, yes, there should, there's going to be an asterisk on it, whatever. But I call it, a, you know, the beast mode asterisk because this will be the hardest cup to ever win. Because like we just talked about, you're coming off a layoff. Absolutely. You're playing during a pandemic. You're playing away from your family. You're in a bubble with a bunch of other crazy assholes for basically five months or four months or whatever it is. And then you have to win the cup and go five rounds. So it's going to be an absolute beast mode. It'll be the, the weirdest 
Stanley Cup ever. Will I watch? Yes, because I'm a diehard Maple Leafs fan, and I, I've got to. This will be the only year the Leafs will probably win it because of everything that's going on. So everybody can just forever say, well, they didn't really win the cup. They won the, the COVID pandemic cup. They didn't win a cup at all. That's what's going to happen. It's the leafiest thing in the world. So I know oh, that's man, coming. You just called it. It's going to happen too, isn't it? Oh, it has to. This is the way the Leafs will win it. And then everybody can ride every all Leaf fans forever saying, oh, well, it wasn't a real cup. It's not a real cup. You guys didn't win a real cup. Well, I mean, it is, but it isn't, you know? Like, we'll just agree to just, I won't give you guys a hard time, I promise. I'll, I'll, I'll march I'll march down Young Street with the parade. I'll probably be wearing sharks or penguins, but... That's all right. You know what? I, I have no no qualms, like I said. I'm, I live in Cole Harbor myself, right, where Sidney Crosby came from. No qualms with the penguins. No qualms with the sharks. I love Burnsy. I love Thornton. Yeah, I know Marlowe when he was yeah. there. So I, I love both teams. Owen Nolan, way back in the day. So yes. shout out to Owen Nolan. So no, I have no problem with either of those two teams. So you can rock that jersey any day of the week. But th- <laughs> this is going to be the problem. It's going to come down to being one of those things where it's just going to be a crap show the entire time. And there's so many things for this to actually work that have to go perfectly you have to have everybody in that bubble stay in the bubble and nobody sneak out and get caught because obviously a team can be losing draft picks or whatever it is that they do. And then if somebody pops for COVID, does the whole team go on pause and do they pause the tournament and further extend the season? Or does that team get eliminated? Or if you're all the way in the conference finals, what happens? It's just so many things that you, you look at it. It has to be absolutely to the letter perfect for it to go down or it won't go. And that's the thing that blows my mind. I'm just like, this has to go so smoothly, and things in life never go that smoothly. No. So unless 2020 is going to mail it in for the next four months for this, the NHL to do its Stanley Cup, you know, in 2020, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but every single month there's been something big happen. So July hasn't popped up yet, so it better shit, sit down and shut up. But yeah, yeah, but you look at it every month. So, I mean, it's not, I, I don't know. I, like I said... If they get in the bubble and they seal it, like some in you know one of those domes, and nobody's allowed in or out or whatever, that's the like only a, way. Like a camp with the with the beds all like like an army camp, you know, one of those bubbles, all the bunk beds, and oh boy, that's but that's the, basically what's going to have to happen, you know? Because just seal off the arenas and have them sleeping on the levels. There you go. They're not using that seating anyway. It's just sleep around the uh, the whole rink. Yeah. There you go. You got your bunk spot. To put some beds and throw some heat lights on and lamps. Very good. Hey, listen, John Tavares apparently did it. Remember his commercial? He slept in the middle of center ice, so no problem. Yeah, I mean, you don't feel the cold. <laughs> Once you spend enough time on the ice, it's, you know, it's not even cold anymore. No, you got blankets anyways. Come on now, boys. <laughs> Suck it up a little bit. But, no, it's going to be weird. It's absolutely going to be weird. There's so many things. You know, there's a few things in the new CBA that made me happy that might make you a little bit happier, too. Guys over 35 now probably might get a couple of year to a three-year deal because they dropped the if you're over 35, you count towards the cap if you retire bullshit. So that's gone. So now guys who are older can actually maybe sign for a couple of years and not have to uh, be a hindrance to a team, which was hurting a lot of vets. There's a lot of guys that were older that just kept signing the one-year-forever deals, right? So so now you might see a guy get a two- or three-year deal and get a little bit more money and still be able to play, but teams were hesitant because you look at Marion Hossa, had to make up a skin condition to get out of the league. You know, Datsuk made up whatever he did to get out of the league. 
his daughter missed him. <laughs> yeah, so there's so many different things, right? Teams were having to make up reasons why these players couldn't play and then get it cleared by doctors. Now it's just gone, and it should have been that way since the beginning. I mean, it was so to avoid see, the big contracts, but those are gone I can, too. I can see Joe Thornton for a few more years. I mean, I think the man could play forever. A return of, of Yager, oh, he just made my day. L- listen, Yager already put out a tweet a couple days ago saying he's coming back, so if someone will have him. Oh, yeah, he'd come back in a heartbeat. But you're, you're not going to like Joe Thornton next year. He's going to be a Maple Leaf. That's fine. But I think he's going to be a Penguin, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit this. Oh, a pen. Why, do you think him and Marlowe signed like, uh, a la Korea Solani deal and one mil each play for the, uh, the Penguins with Crosby and Malks? And then they win the cup, and then you know they retire, and I can die happily. Listen, you, never, it, you always you don't want to have to live without watching your favorite player raise a cup. Not a lifelong like it's, he's my favorite, and it just hurts me every year to see his sad face when he gets eliminated or doesn't make it. And I'm like, listen, when he dies, when Jumbo Joe made it to the Stanley Cup Finals and they didn't oh. win. I was so sad. There's so many players that you want to see win a cup, but I wanted Joe Thornton and Marlowe to win it. I definitely did, and I wish we would have won one in Toronto when Marlowe was here because that would have been kick-ass for him. But you're right. I, I think of Sundin when I think of players who didn't win yeah. the cup and, you know, all the things he did for the Leafs, and up until the end anyways. I think he was a bit of a jerk last year. He should have let us trade him to get some shit back in return but and then walk off to Vancouver halfway through. I don't know. But no, I would uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Thornton and Marlowe together, even on the Leafs. I mean, why not make an old man line of Spezza, Thornton, Marlowe? I'm good either city, Pittsburgh, San Jose, or Toronto. Because I mean, See, so, I may not be a Leaf, but it is my hometown. So it's so weird to hear someone who cheers for another team, though, even though you're in Toronto, you know, to respect the Leafs and not you know just bash on them. I'm so used to other fan bases just instantly saying, no, 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 can't happen, won't happen, you're ridiculous, okay. Leafs suck. Some of my favorite players, like, the, the Leafs are, like, the biggest influence of me wanting to coach, because that's where I'm from Toronto. Before we could watch every game, we could only watch the local games, right? Yep. So, I mean, Boston, Detroit, and Toronto, they're, they all forever will own a piece of my heart. Well, you look it's at it now, it you look at it for us out here on the East Coast, we only get, I think, 41 games. Anything that's nationally broadcast, everything else is the half. So it's like back in the old days when you only got so many of them. So um, there's a lot of streaming that goes on here in the East Coast. I'm not saying that everything's shut down. I'm just saying we don't get Leafs TV, and I'm not paying for center ice just to watch the Maple Leafs. So, yeah. There's a last. There's an app I should send you. It might work for you. Okay, yeah. Fire that over. I'm all ears. It's a streaming app, and you get all the games. All right, well, we'll delete that part out just because, you know, never want anybody listening and set, shutting something down. A la no, Brendan no, I Schwab. Think it's good, it's good. Like, there's an option to pay. Okay, to okay. To watch certain, certain games, and then there's a free option, but the free option doesn't always work. So it does work sometimes, but there's an option to pay. Or you can tip or whatever. It's a good app. I'll tip. Yeah. All right, no, send that over. I'll be 100% interested in that. So, another question I want to ask you obviously, with everything going on, and we just talked about it just a second ago. The number one overall pick is a placeholder team, which is, you know, just kooky dukes. It's the best thing for all story matter going on throughout the summer. It keeps the NHL draft front of mind for everyone because it's so goddamn far away now. Um, I got to ask you, if you're a playing team like the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Toronto Maple Leafs, do you want to have a 12.5% chance 
at Alexis Lafreniere, maybe a franchise, generational player, whatever tag you want to put on him, or do you want your coveted Stanley Cup? No, it's always going to be about the Cup. We've seen first first round draft picks go sour. Like, <laughs> let's think about Edmonton. They don't always work, you know. So or, or they work you... when they get out of Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true story. That's funny. <laughs> Poor Edmonton. Yeah, well, you know what? Yakupov really didn't stick anywhere. I'll give them that. But, I mean, Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle, well, you know, those are two pretty good guys that went elsewhere and did pretty damn well for themselves. Yeah, that's a true story. But, I mean, for me, like, the reason we, we don't play f- for draft picks. Like, we, we play for the cup, right? Even though this is a glorified tournament, and I still hope it doesn't happen because it just hurts my heart in so many reasons. Um, but... You want like the whole point of the draft pick is to, the first is to go to a team that could use could use it. But like for the Penguins shouldn't even be in this qualifying position. Like they were in the top ten overall in the league. Now they're just out of a confirmed round one spot. I, 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 it's all just it's all too much for me. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's I liked um, Sam Cosentino's thing where he where they asked him the question, he just started singing the uh, the circus music. Because basically that's what it is. It's all just one big circus, you know. And to go back to what you said, it's all business-driven. Um, you know, I talked to Abby yesterday, and she said the same thing. You know, it's it's about the TV deal. It's about getting the games in. It's about making sure that everything is done to the button so they get their money. And you know what? As a fan of hockey, do I want to see sports? Yes. Do I want to be able to watch something to take my mind off COVID and this year that has absolutely kicked all of our teeth in? Yes. But do I want to do it at the expense of anybody else possibly getting sick or infecting a loved one and losing them? No. That's the, the last part for me is I don't want to see anybody going to play a sport, whether it be my favorite sport or any other sport, and then losing someone because of it, because that's avoidable. You can avoid anything happening to anyone if you don't. And then you get the argument for people, well, if they're sitting at home and they're going out in public, they can get it just the same, yes, but you're putting them in this bubble environment where it could spread like wildfire and you wouldn't be able to catch it. And then how long do we leave sports for after that? Oh, it'd be gone. You, you'd be, you'd be next fall. Not this fall, but the fall after. Before exactly. the talk would even start up because everybody would be so scared and I bet you a dime to a dollar you'd see a lot of teams, whether it's in the AHL, OHL, or NHL, fold. Yep. Well, I want to I want to say... You know, it has been awesome to have you on. I super appreciate it. And it's been a fun conversation bouncing all around. Uh, where where can everybody find your work, make sure they're checking you out, and where can we see you behind a bench in five years? I mean, you can Google my name um, or find me on Twitter at Shoot With Authority. Shoot W Authority. Um, that's actually my hockey school's name, up and coming. And where do I see myself in five years coaching? I sure as heck hope it's not the Flyers. Ah, <laughs> yes. It probably will end up being a team that I was a rival of, like the Kings. But I mean, I, I can't say no to it. So. <laughs> no, wherever you blow the door off the hinges, we will be there to make sure we support you. I thank you very much, Jen, for swinging by, and I'll make sure when your article does come up, we'll attach it to this episode and pump it out. Amazing, thanks. No worries. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye. So as you heard, that was Jen Sheffro, and she was on talking about her career, coaching, women's hockey, the men's league hockey, 
everything you can think about from COVID, the cup, the nine yards, it's all there. Check her out. That's Offside for today. Take her easy.